Well, all right. I guess no intro today because... Oh. You know, folks, sometimes it's not my fault. Uh, sometimes the technology behind what we put together on these shows and otherwise in having conversations with you doesn't do exactly what it's supposed to do. Uh, but hello, everyone, and welcome to Hangouts and Headlines, September 29th, 2022. It's Thursday, and we're ready to have some fun. If you don't know, I love October. There's a lot of fun stuff that happens in October. I love Halloween stuff. I love watching scary movies. I love having that kind of vibe uh, around the house. So here in Hogas, we've already got decorations going up. We've got an eyeball that looks and talks to you when you walk through the alcove that I hit the button on every morning. And so I thought, even though it's September 29th, I saw this particular story go out a couple days ago. And I said, hey, it's not October yet. We're just going to get an early jump on it. So we're going to be talking about Jason Voorhees. We're going to be talking about Friday the 13th. And we're going to be talking about one of my favorite little kind of corners of copyright law in the termination right that someone has, even for a valid contractual assignment, which is a kind of rarity in American law. So we're going to talk about all those things after we talk to each other, after we hang out a little bit. And I've got a logo here. I've got a I've got a Kurt from Uncivil Law logo here. Kurt, Hello. Are here? How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you doing, man? I am talking to you from the void. I can see that. Why? How are you doing? Well, because this is as civilized as I'm willing to be right now. Okay. If if I put on the camera, I'd actually have to, you know, sure. Tur look on the look, turn on the lights and stuff. All right, sure. No, I thought you were doing a Jason Voorhees impression here for today's show. Uh, no, that's uh, that's absolutely all right. And yes, that's the, you got it. <laughs> uh, that Sarah says, are we talking about contracts today? We are talking about contracts. More specifically, we are talking about uh, producers trying to convince a court that the National Labor Relations Act and unionization and collective bargaining rules should govern over agency theory in respect of determining whether something is a work made for hire. And if none of that sounded like it made sense, don't worry, we're going to talk about it. Uh, suffice it to say, what we've got here is that the writer of the Friday the 13th series uh, has succeeded at each level of his claims uh, against the people that produced the original Friday the 13th movie. Uh, and that culminated this week in winning a lot of attorney's fees um, that will probably be disputed <laughs> because it never dies, right? Friday the 13th, Jason never dies. Friday the 13th litigation never dies. And if you're a fan of these movies, if you're a fan of this series, one of the things that has bugged you is the slow grind of justice here because it's basically holding up sequels for what would be a fairly popular uh, run of movies. Now, we think Friday the 13th sequels are moving forward from here. I think they are as well. But it has been held up over a very long legal process that we'll talk about. Uh, I've got a bunch of tabs ready to go talking about the actual uh, cases here. I might have mentioned them before in respect of the Top Gun cases because we've got some of the same arguments. We've got some of the same lawyers. Uh, but uh, here it's a little bit different. So where's everybody hanging out from? Do you guys like October? Are we jumping the gun? Are we the Walmart Christmas decorations of YouTube videos right now? Uh, and in terms of putting out this content on September 29th instead of waiting for October 1st, I have questions. I'm sure you guys have answers in the chat. Um, also, we've got some fun surprises for you coming up. Not today, uh, but with respect to some stuff uh, from the store. Uh, so keep your eyes open on the internet. 
uh, we're gonna have some we're gonna have some fun things for October um, because I love it so much. So get ready for that. Hunter says, "Yeah, I'm in the beginning of an H and H before I go to work." Good morning, Hogan on Seville. Good morning. Hey, Hunter, we're happy to have you here. Uh, let's see, Sardinism apparently wasn't really a workman for hire. They couldn't pay him enough, so he kept a very specific rights. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. We will get to that story. I promise. That's that's what we're that's what we are here for in terms of headlines. Uh, Sardinism is just with doing the current version here of the the music. Kiki kiki, ha 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 ha. There you go. I can't I can't improve on I, that. I appreciate your uh, very uh, <laughs> deadpan enunciation. That's what it says. I'm just I'm just reading out the chat okay, here. Okay, fair, uh, fine. We love Halloween, but not scary movies. Hi from Connecticut. There's so many different kinds of scary movies. I bet I could find a kind of scary movie that you would enjoy. Uh, we just need to invite everybody in chat over for Friday night scary movies here at the Hogue House. Uh, we do, we generally do double features every Friday night uh, in October. Uh, I could make it work. I could make it work. What are your favorite kinds of scary movies, Kurt? I don't like scary movies. This is this is just the worst chat. I'm just leaving. I'm just Kurt. You can just take it over from here. I don't. I don't like horror. <laughs> great. All right. Well, chat. We need to bring in some vibes here. We need to bring in some folks that do like a good scary movie. It doesn't have to be a jump scare. My favorite scary movies, as a for instance, is what I would describe as existential dread. That is the best. That is the best feeling. That is the best stuff that you can get in terms of movie making in October. But what do you like? You like to be jump scared, chat? Do you like to have uh, questions about your mortality asked? What do you like about October movies? Mary says Hitchcock suspense is always good. Hitchcock is good. I wouldn't necessarily describe them in this particular vein, but they have some really good suspense sequences. Maybe the more uh, the the more highfalutin ones, the 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 psychos of the world, could go into the the October movie basket. Uh, but in general, I just like Hitchcock because it does ratchet up that tension really good, uh, and that's a lot of fun. Uh, Yuri says I like psychological terror. Ooh, okay, psychological terror. Do uh, you ever play? How about horror video games, Kurt? You like horror video games? No. Okay. All right. It's good. It's good content so far. Horror video games are also the best. I have a game that I absolutely adore called Soma, which is both jump scares. I, I believe yeah. I'm familiar with the game. Is that the one where you transport into different bodies or it's like you're splitting your consciousness is splitting. Am I on the right track? You are on the right track. That is, that okay. is a bit about what it's about. And then, like the nature of identity and who who you really are. Yes, it's about the nature of identity. It's about uh, failures of humanity. It's about all sorts of good stuff. It's also about like ghost monsters because why not? Soma is one of the best. I will be downloading Soma as the clock strikes midnight on October one. My favorite horror book is The Federal Register. <laughs> I'm not. The administrative agencies are coming. They're coming for you. I'm not giving you that. I'm not giving you that. What else we got here? They publish it every day, Richard. Beat Morale Improve says, look up what InfoHazard and CognitoHazard means. There's a reason there's a prime number that's illegal in the USA. Okay. Well, thank you for the super chat. I will keep that in mind. 
Trish says thriller rather than horror for me. Uh, Zan says Soma is an amazing game. It really, really is. Soma is fantastic. Uh, 448 Claire says for horror, I like a good ghost story, something paranormal. I tend to avoid most slasher films with teenagers. They have become too predictable and there hasn't been a really decent one since Scream, like the original Scream, like the Drew Barrymore Scream. The last Scream I really, really hated. <laughs> Scream, I, I get the numbers wrong. Scream 4 uh, was filmed in Northville. You hear me say Northville a lot in virtual reality. Um, that was that one's one of ours as, as good old Midtown America. Um, so Scream's okay. Uh, I just really, really don't like the last one. Uh, so, of course, they're going to jump off of that to to make more screams. Uh, Poltergeist was my favorite scary movie. Poltergeist. Now, I was a youngster when Poltergeist came out, uh, but that one left an indelible mark. Uh, that is a that is a scary, scary movie. Um, what else is everybody interested in? I like one. I, I just scrolled by um, that says I, I I like scary movies, but I also like fun ones. Hocus Pocus 2 comes out tomorrow. I know I have been conversing with people that are big Hocus Pocus fans, uh, and they are both uh, interested in the release and worried about it because, well, reboots, remakes, requels, whatever you want to call them, don't have the greatest track record um, on this stuff. But who knows? I hope if you love Hocus Pocus that Hocus Pocus 2 is great. Um, that's uh, that's what my sisters used to watch. I recall that when I was younger. Uh, let's see here. We've got so many good comments, including, nope. <laughs> hey shireen that's okay you don't have to do scary movies it's not a requirement to be here with us on hangouts uh i'm just curious about uh what what people like in this vein because it's 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 such a it's such a big part of october here uh at, at my house david says i watched a good ghost story movie last night called raven's hollow would recommend i love recommendations i always need recommendations we watch so many movies in october Always need recommendations. We've got lineups already of things we haven't watched. I've got, um, uh, what is it, Black Phone uh, ready. I've got Nope ready. Um, so if you have other recommendations, maybe we'll just do a video where you all tell me what horror movies I should watch this October and it'd be great. Come back to you with reviews. Uh, Alien, we watched that last uh, year, as a matter of fact, um, to which I was told by my daughter it was too boring. Alien. Hmm. Alien. Hmm. Does Predator do? count as a horror movie? We try to raise him right. No, Predator is like an action movie. Okay. Um, uh, although Predator, Predator is kind of like a slasher, I guess. <laughs> uh, so maybe Predator counts. I, I might allow that. The thing is great. <clears throat> the thing is great, although I can't take many of the effects seriously. Um, but I do love, I do love seeing them. Uh, but the thing is awesome. I think the variation on the theme I actually like the best is an X Files episode called Ice. So we'll, we'll do some deep cuts, um, but that's that's when the X Files basically does the thing in forty four minutes, uh, and I think it works really well. Uh, I have mixed. I have no mouth, and I must scream is pretty horrible. Did you ever read that one? Yeah, I was gonna say it's a horrible book. That's they didn't. Yeah, is, no, there's not a movie of that. I don't is think there? there's a movie about it. No. Yeah, I played the video game and then I read the book after it. Uh, yeah, that's that's uh, that's freaky stuff. <laughs> All that existential stuff is freaky. Uh, I have mixed feelings about Hocus Pocus 2. I love the original. Sure, I could, I don't blame anybody for having mixed feelings about them going back to the well on one of these. Uh, David says, Evil Dead is the best horror movie ever made. Ash is amazing. Now, I have to I have to admit here, I've seen all the Evil Deads. Army of Darkness is actually my preferred version of, of 
of Ash Williams uh, and, and dealing with uh, deadites and whatnot. So I know that's the comedy satire version of Evil Dead, which was already pretty comedic. Uh, but uh, yeah, Army of Darkness for me. I, see, I, these are things I'm going to have to download after the show. Just get them, get them ready for October. Uh, Laquarius is not a fan of horror flicks, but love the Dark Souls games. Elden Ring included. Yeah, they got a vibe, don't they? Um, in fact, I think that's one of the areas in which, uh, my reviews of Elden Ring differ the most from people is it's like, that's just not my vibe for the most part. Maybe I'll try it again in October and I'll be able to get into Elden Ring a little bit more. Um, but, uh, it's, it's such a weird fantasy, uh, that, uh, even though I can see Elden Ring as a triumph of game design and, and people absolutely adore it, uh, I don't like being there. <laughs> so it's, it doesn't work quite as much for me. Uh, the camera work in The Shining still gets me. It's just so unnerving. Yeah, The Shining's a good one. And I really like Cooper. Dr. Sleep. Yep, Cooper. I really like Dr. Sleep. If you guys haven't seen that, that was the one that Ewan McGregor did. Um, that is the sequel to The Shining. Um, I think that one was actually one of the better horror movies of the last few years. Um, so definitely check that out. I watched Rope after Trials of the Century and loved it. How did Trials of the Century lead into Rope? I love Rope. Rope might actually be my favorite Hitchcock. Um, but I, I just curious how those connected. This is great stuff, guys. This is great stuff. Uh, Daydreaming Pixie also grew up watching X Files. I was a bit worried of a liver eating man popping up the loo in the night. <clears throat> it's good stuff. See, this is this is the deep cuts we're looking for. Daydreaming Pixie. That's that's a season one starting point as well. Um, so yeah, yep. Um, yes, I'm excited and nervous about the new Hocus Pocus. I'm just glad they brought back the original sisters for the movie. Yeah. Yep, that's good. Uh, I also love Beetlejuice, but I've never been able to get through the exorcism scene without getting really squicked out. Yeah, Beetlejuice I consider kind of more weird than scary. Uh, but certainly as a kid, when they start like moving their faces around, that that is something I remember uh, not loving as a feeling. So yeah, scary movies. Uh, Andy says, I'm such a wimp, I could scare myself reading Harry Potter. I think you may take it all too seriously. It's <laughs> uh, uh, good stuff. Caitlin says, re-Hocus Pocus 2. I've been waiting for this since I was a kid. No pressure. Yeah. I mean, I I hope it is everything everybody that's a fan wants it to be. I, I worry about those things. So I would recommend setting expectations at a lower, if it isn't a trash fire and otherwise doesn't completely skewer the original material and make me feel bad for ever having liked it, it's a win. Uh, Panther Pony says, I watched Nope last night. It was great. It is in the queue. We will be watching Nope this October. I am looking forward to it. I am ready. Commander Rodimus says, I was banned from playing a game called The Suffering, where you're like an executed criminal. Uh, due to how well the surround sound was, my wife said it sounded like the voices were talking to her. <laughs> I was playing, man, what was I playing? I was playing Electronic Arts Dante's Inferno. And if that sounds weird to you, it's exactly as weird as it was, where uh, you were traveling through the circles of hell. And one of the circles had like a crying baby um, that was coming out of the speakers of our living room. Um, and I, I was absolutely banned from playing that without my headphones. So I hear you. I feel your pain, Commander Rodimus. Uh, you got to be cognizant of the other people in the house uh and sometimes games like to be real real weird in terms of their sound effects um raven's hollows on my watch list on shutters on shutter i don't get shutter maybe i should buy shutter for october 
wonder how many people do that. <laughs> Where can we post our movie recommendations? Maybe I'll do a community post that talks a little bit about October and just says, hey, give me what I should be watching. Because uh, that's a fun way to hang with the community. And, and I love that you guys have recommendations and some stuff I've never heard of. Um, man, what is the one that I really like? Uh, that uh, my buddy who watches these with me really didn't like so much. I want to say it's called Lake Mungo. If any of you have seen Lake Mungo, you can sign in the the, the dozen of us, which I really liked for kind of existential um, horror. It's good stuff. Um, good ghost movies, all almost guaranteed to scare me every time. And what's the last ghost movie we watched in this slot? It was um, Crimson Peak. I like horror movies because it sounds like I'm just making them up if you don't know. Uh, <laughs> if you don't know the movie in, in question. What about Alien versus Predator? Is that a horror movie? No. No. I mean, I, it's not horror in the way that I think about it, right? If you can be in dark hallways and you can have stuff jump out at you and you can die, I, that's horror to, to, in some respects. Um, but it's not usually what I think of when we're thinking of the October movies. So I don't want to dismiss them. But it's not what I'm thinking of. Uh, she should try Aliens then. It's one of the few sequels that is great. More Aliens sequels, more fun. Aliens is a fantastic movie. And you're not wrong for for eight, Claire, because my daughter this year discovered the works of James Cameron and adores him. Um, so Aliens, not a bad idea. Not a bad the idea. The only horror movie I kind of liked was Blair Witch Project. Blair Witch is your go-to like good horror movie? Yeah. I want to dig into this, Kurt. Why do you well, like Blair Witch? I, I think it's because the existential horror is never shown. I, I like I, they, because the unknown is inherently more scary than the known. Okay. And I think that, you know, the, the, the fear of the unknown, it's one of the things when they did Bird Box, it's like when they tried to show the monsters, it just is, it's a mistake. It's better not to know. I don't mind Blair Witch, but have you watched it recently? No. So I, I would ask that you watch it again recently because I think the middle pacing of that movie is really struggling. Um, and, and while I agree that I like the conceit, I like the, the very end, I like the beginning, um, there, there are some issues in the middle of that movie where it's clear that they're like, I don't know, filling time. Fair. <laughs> Someone mentioned Event Horizon. That was the movie. Uh, yeah, that's a scary movie. These are, these are ones I want to tell people to go back to. All right, so like Event Horizon. Event Horizon is not that great. <laughs> Event Horizon is one that I think stuck in people's minds more than like the actual movie. Like, go watch Event Horizon again. Um, like, if I'm if I'm picking Sam Neill, I'm picking something from like um, John Carpenter. Uh, I'm not I'm not I'm not going to Event Horizon. Um, what what was I? What, what's the what's the one that I really like uh, from uh, John Carpenter? Mouth of Madness. Mouth of Madness is excellent. Um, Orson Welles' War of the Worlds, the radio play, kick ass. Maybe they didn't mean the Tom Cruise movie. We don't know. Oh, oh look probably at this, not. The, no, this, the super chats have their thoughts. The Innocence with Deborah Kerr. I have never heard of that. I'm gonna flag. I'm just gonna record all of this video. Well, we're already recording, so it's already being done. I'm just gonna go back and I'm gonna put together this list. Uh, this week's Rick and Morty's Night Family was creepy enough. I am not up to. I watched the first season of Rick and Morty. Uh, found it interesting, but I really just. Justin Roiland's voice is not for me. Um, and so I, uh, I've moved on from that. Twilight Zone, the original series. Twilight Zone's the best. We should just watch 40 Twilight Zones. <sighs> Love Twilight Zone. 
Uh, we're going to, so we got to, we got to pace ourselves, people. Maybe one of these hangouts we'll do a favorite Twilight Zone episode. So everybody can just watch all of the Twilight Zone and be ready for that conversation. Uh, but yeah, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Secret Window, From Hell, and Sleepy Hollow are all great. Are are those all Johnny Depp movies, Caden? I, I think they might be. <laughs> it fits, right? We've certainly talked about Mr. Depp here in this space. Um, I don't remember Secret Window, um, but I will. I will keep those in mind. Tia Nena rec- recognizes Lake Mungo. Nobody ever recognizes this when I say it. This is a win. I, I Hulk gif. I consider this an absolute win. I love Lake Mungo, um, and my buddy hated it because, like, technically nothing happens in Lake Mungo. <laughs> it's a, it's a horror movie done as a documentary. Um, and, uh, not like a Blair Witch, but like a literal, like sitting in front of the camera, talking to it with an interviewer kind of documentary. And, uh, it is so good because it's, it's in the photos, uh, and it's, it's discussion of like what happened to this, uh, this person. I'm waking up to very strange news. Apparently Lizzo went to the library of Congress last night to play the 1813 flute. This is a couple days ago. This was all over Twitter yesterday. I, I I'm just learning about this now. I'm so confused on every level. Yeah, I think you, the National Library uh, like let her let her do it. If I remember, if I remember the story correctly, why I'm following it? Because yeah. history is cool, I believe, is what she said. Okay. History is cool. Oh, look at, we got more people that recognize like Mungo Kurt. If I get like five people that know Lake Mungo, will you watch Lake Mungo? What is it? It's a, it, I mean, it, it, it's a horror movie. It's a, it's an existential dread movie. It's one of my favorites. Maybe. No jump scares. Okay, maybe. <laughs> will you hold me? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm gonna reject you on that, Kurt. But I don't think you're gonna need me to. If you watch you to, like Mungo, you can come on and tell me about how much you either liked or hated I want you to Mungo. hold me and tell me that it'll be okay, Richard. <laughs> B, Crimson Peak had a stunning Is that the horror movie costume. for you? Is that the one you're picturing in your mind? I love this. I the, To me, this is both true and kind of a slight, right? Because Crimson Peak has its issues and it is gorgeous. Uh, but it also is like, it, it had such a beautiful costumes. It's like, yeah. That's about what I would rate Crimson Peak. I like Crimson Peak a lot, but it's 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 not the strongest plot line ever. Um, uh, I was so confused for a minute because it's early enough. I hadn't had my coffee yet, and I was thinking, today is not Friday? Oh, man. Am I making this feel nope. too much like casual Friday, and you all are going to get confused in your week nope, schedule? but tomorrow we will be doing our charity stream. So remember That's to right. check in tomorrow, starting around 9 o'clock and going till whenever. And as people want to pop in from LawTube, they're more than welcome. We will be raising money for thyroid cancer awareness. Uh, proceeds are going to the American Thyroid Association in honor of thyroid cancer awareness and looking to find a cure. So tune in tomorrow on Civil Law for all that. We'll probably be playing a lot of video games. I'm going to be playing Mass Effect 3 a lot. I'll probably be playing uh, The Witcher 3. I've been I'm partway through the game, so maybe try to finish that off to some degree. And uh, we'll be playing probably some um, Fall Guys, you know, community stuff, just casual stuff. It'll be fun. 
All right. Well, go check out Kurt's channel tomorrow for that. Uh, definitely. And and for Witcher 3, you should definitely do, um, I can't remember the name of the expansion, but again, leaning into October, it's uh, the, the one with the, the, the vampires and the blood. Um, you should uh, you should definitely check out. Does Cabin in the Woods count? Uh, yeah. Cabin in the Woods is a movie we've watched in October. Um, Cabin in the Woods is specifically that kind of movie where you use it to diffuse tension for the most part. Um, but yeah, Cabin in the Woods will count. Uh, let's see. Woman in Black, I don't know. Check that one out. Uh, Sleepy Hollow. I'm not even sure I love it, but I do, and I'm not sorry. Or you're not not sorry. You doubled up on the knots. So you are sorry. Uh, Sleepy Hollow I haven't seen in like forever. So maybe I should check that one out. Event Horizon was the one that did me in. Uh, I haven't watched it. But The Babadook is highly recommended. I don't like The Babadook. That's going to be a reasonable minds can differ kind of thing. Uh, I, didn't, I did not enjoy that one. That one seemed a little bit pretentious to me. Uh, the Others was great for suspense, but it drove me nuts. They advertised it full-on horror. I like The Others. I do like The Others. I forgot about that one. This is great. This is good. This is memory stuff. Blair Witch made me nauseous. <laughs> Did you see Blair Witch on the big screen, Kurt? The kind of, uh, of camera-moving in that way on the big screen, I remember feeling a little bit weird on, definitely. Um, I agree with Kurt. Signs became suddenly not scary the second they actually showed the aliens for me. Oh, yeah. I think you definitely have to be judicious about showing monsters. Signs is not a horror movie, I, but I really like Signs. Um, what else we got here? The Village is my favorite scary movie, hands down. We're going, we're going through M. Night Shyamalan movies at this point. Also, uh, the uh, worst horror movie, at least for Law and Lumber, is coming this Saturday as my Clemson Tigers are going to be facing his wolf pack. My goodness, man. Federal Register and college football lean-ins on this. I love it. Ring it. I, I don't know that it's a fair fight, but yes, that's the, yes. I, I think Clemson is, is likely to win. Event Horizon is one of my top 10, says Carolyn. That is interesting. I'd be interested in hearing the rest. Um, Event Horizon is, a, in my opinion, a better concept than a movie, um, but uh, to each their own, and I'm not taking away from anybody, but maybe we'll put it on the list. I haven't seen it in a couple of years. Uh, Dead Silence still gets me. Mary Shaw is a scary antagonist. I don't know this one. I don't know Dead Silence. Ooh, ooh. I like it when people love something and I don't know about it because there's a high level of uh, possibility there. Hereditary, of course. Ah, <laughs> uh, Hereditary is fantastic. I will say I don't love the not even the third act, but like the very last 10 minutes of Hereditary. Uh, but Hereditary is a movie. What is that? The kids, the chef's kiss um, for Hereditary. <clears throat> the Abyss. I love The Abyss. You you think The Abyss is a horror movie? The Abyss is, uh... the Abyss is, I don't even know what kind of movie it is. It's, it's one of those kind of science explorations. Have we gone too far? Have we delved too deep type, type of movies? Um, I don't know if it's a horror movie. It's a suspense movie. Uh, Stargazer Dragons. I have my own horror story. I purchased the dino dinosaur sticker and t-shirt for me. Now my daughter owns a dinosaur sticker and a t-shirt. <laughs> Kids, right? The real horror story. Uh, seriously, love the quality. We'll be ordering another set today. That is awesome, Stargazer Dragons. Yeah, that is... People, people love that dinosaur. <laughs> 
Um, and uh, the littlest Hogue is 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 hard at work potentially putting together some more uh, some more concepts. Uh, she's super excited about how much people love the gaming dinosaur. Um, Evil Dead. Event Horizon is a good two-thirds of a movie. I think I'm willing to say that. My my preferred version of Event Horizon is a movie called Sunshine. Uh, but Sunshine has the same problem as Event Horizon, which is it's two-thirds of a good movie. They really struggle with the uh, monsters in the deep once that happens. What else? All right. I think we should probably talk about these legal documents pretty soon. Well, we'll let's hit some super chats. Slow Burn Horror. The Innkeepers is great. <clears throat> I love the poster of the innkeepers. I bought the innkeepers like six years ago. I still haven't watched it. It's in my collection, but I love the poster so much. It convinced me to buy it. That's weird stories from uh, movie land with, with Hogue. Um, but maybe I'll put that on the list. I, I do want to watch that at some point. Good kid. Existential dread is the Halloween tree animated on every October, Saturday AM. When I was young, I don't know that one. Uh, we, we know squarely the pumpkin, I believe, uh, but that's not scary at all. Uh, so I'll look for the Halloween tree. It's Halloween, Charlie Brown. That's good. Uh, well, yeah, sure. That's the great pumpkin. That's a classic. Yeah. Classic. Uh, misery is terrifying. Misery is terrifying. That's pretty terrifying. Stephen King does uh, that particular story well. He wrote it like 10 times, but that somebody being trapped and otherwise um, dealing with that and, and controlled by another uh, oh, do you live near cornfields? Not corn usually in Michigan, but but some. Uh, Children of the corn. I was never really as frightened as those like the little blonde kids as as much as maybe I should have been. <clears throat> uh, kind of sad Wednesday. Adams will only be out in November. Would have been great for October. Did they really not hit an October window for that? All right. <laughs> Any version of Are You Afraid of the Dark is good, including the reboot miniseries. I didn't even know they rebooted it. Ooh. I own all the Are, Are You Afraid of the Darks. I should, we're on that. I own the Twilight Zones. I own Are You Afraid of the Darks. The I one where the they got sucked into the pinball machine and had to stay there forever. That was uh, pretty dark. It's like, <laughs> damn, a little curiosity. It's like, don't touch the pinball machine. And then you get sucked into there and you can't ever leave because of your hubris of playing with a forbidden pinball machine. Oh, my God. I like that this clearly this one specific episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark really scarred Kurt. It did a little bit. Not gonna lie. <laughs> it haunts me. It haunts my dreams. Why am I uh, stuck in the pinball machine, Richard? Why am I, I stuck in the pinball machine? I used to watch those hoping that the protagonist would lose because uh, in terms of the in terms of the balance of Are You Afraid of the Darks versus like a Twilight Zone or an Outer Limits, like the good guys win too often. Like they escape the problem or whatever. And so I used to keep track of the times when they would just totally lose. Pinball's one, the vampires next door is one, um, that that kind of stuff. But I, oh yeah, I own those because I've been trying to ramp up my daughter into October. <laughs> so we've been watching Are You Afraid of the Dark? Um, and uh, last year she started watching some of the the really good stuff. Lake Mungo was okay. I love Lake Mungo, but I will tell you that my friend that watched it with me was like, "What was that?" That was terrible. <laughs> so horror, like comedy, is one of those things. It's a little, it's a little bit tricky to get right on the right on the button. Um, pretty sure the Dead Meat Channel either does a kill count or just a podcast episode of Lake Mungo. I don't know what that is, but now I am immediately interested. Um, but uh, I, I, if they have a show called Kill Count, it probably isn't too effective for a movie like Lake Mungo. 
Um, we get, we have people talking about Lizzo and the flute. Apparently she's a big time flutist and that was pretty cool. I, I, I only saw the story on my Twitter yesterday. Um, all right. I think we're ready to talk law. I think we're caught up. we got a lot of thoughts here. Oh, no, not, not quite caught up. Ross says, if you want an incredible scary movie, you should watch my high school Spanish class project, El Conejo de Muerta. You can find it here on YouTube. Can I? All right. You have a high school Spanish project that is in the vein of a scary movie. All right. I will keep this in mind. I will keep this in mind. <laughs> Man overslept, says Terry, and woke up to horror movies. This is awesome. Yeah, I'm going to try not to overdo it in October, but I love it. It's my vibe. Um, Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight. Ooh, that was one that I had to sneak into as a kid. True stories from Hogue's past. Um, but yeah, who doesn't love the Crypt Keeper? That guy was hilarious. Christine was fun. Christine is great. Christine is underrated. <clears throat> um, that's John Carpenter. We can just do John Carpenter movies. Um, let's see here. Uh, not scary. But when I taught ESL, my students insisted I watched Coco, and they were so excited to explain all the cultural aspects of it. So I watch it every year now around Dia de los Muertos. I will tell you this. Here in my house, my girls prefer Book of Life to Coco. So if you haven't seen that one, do check it out. I like Book of Life. It's one that I can get behind. I think it's done by Guillermo del Toro. It is animated, and it came out like the same year, I think, as Coco. Uh, but I do like that one. Coco's good, too. Uh, same kind of concepts. It's very interesting when those happen in movies. <clears throat> Demon Seed. I love Coco. Um, yes, definitely had to sneak in to watch Tales from the Crypt. Tales from the Crypt is one of those where, like, we didn't, we weren't an HBO family, uh, but occasionally they'd have like a trial. Uh, and when they had those, I would watch Tales from the Crypt. And Demon Knight came out. And I don't even know. I'd have to look at the years about what age I was. I was close, <clears throat> but I wasn't old enough. But like everybody back then, I had a buddy that worked at a movie theater. Um, and I went and saw Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight. What can I say? Didn't scar me for life, I don't think. But you never know. <clears throat> Coco broke me at the end. Yeah, they like to do that in those movies. Um, okay. Let's talk a little bit about headlines and law. Seems like something we should do in this space. I like that plan. So, Friday the 13th. So, I've pulled in some articles just to go over the timeline here so that we can talk about it um, and understand what happened this last week, which is that... <laughs> A huge amount in attorney's fees was granted. I also want to talk about the standards for what are reasonable attorney's fees on these things. Because <clears throat> I can assure you, it is not what Hogue Law charges. But it's still interesting to look at. So the basics here are that the Friday the 13th screenwriter uh, is wins a declaratory action that he is the owner of the script of Friday the 13th. And this became a big fight because ordinarily... If you are working for somebody that's putting together a movie, um, you're going to have in writing the stuff that makes sure that the people that are making the movie have the rights to that movie. And they kind of did here, but they kind of didn't. So let's let's break it down. We also get the intro. Judges love to do this when there's anything pop culture related. If you've been in virtual reality with me for a while, you know I hate it. Uh, but here's the introduction to this particular case. Nearly 40 years ago, a screenplay was written about Camp Crystal Lake. The film created from that screenplay went on to significant commercial success. Lurking below that peaceful surface, however, was the Copyright Act's termination right, waiting for just the right moment when it would emerge and wreak havoc on the rights to the screenplay. 
the judge that, is really you, proud of themselves. You, you know, you know, I love you and everything, but you're just so wrong on this. This is great. I love it. I love, mm. I love this, this, this funness in the opinion. It makes it more interesting. <sighs> Lurking from the shadows, ready to wreak havoc. You're just, you're wrong. It's great. No, this is serious stuff. There's, there's a time and a place for hangouts. There's a time and a place for headlines. There's a time and a place for legal judgments that are. Did you watch my video on the hundred thousand subscriber special? Uh, no. What 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 are we referring to? Okay, that that you that you that we're gonna have different tastes. That's all I'm saying. Oh yeah, well I've done videos on how I you know the pop culture references and the Hamilton lyrics and the things are are inappropriate. Um, but uh, yeah, no, this is this is clearly judge having fun. Um, this isn't actually on the substance of the decision, so it doesn't bother me as much as when they start whipping out uh, pop culture references in the in the details portions of these things. Um, Miller disputed his screenplay was a work made for hire. We're going to talk about that in just a second, which under copyright law would mean the producers also authored the work. His attorney, Mark just Toberoff. Just for you, if I ever write one of these things, I'm putting in a footnote, and the footnote's just going to say, that's all it's going to say. There you go. If you can figure out a way to articulate the Halloween theme there, that'll be even more uh, even more helpful. I'll do what I can. His attorney, Mark Toberoff, argued that while the screenplay was clearly commissioned as part of a motion picture, there never was any written instrument as required by law spelling out the screenplay was work made for hire. So let's That's break this down. That's all. It's all legalese, right? It's all magic words. Who even knows what we're talking about right now? Let's dive into this actual legal document now. I did want to point out the dates here because this, the slow march of justice is slow. So this is at the end of the first trial. It's September of 2018. That is, keep a track at home, four years ago as of the recording of this particular video. And here is what is the summary of what happened. The defendant in this declaratory judgment action is Victor Miller, the credited screenwriter of the original Friday the 13th screenplay. In 1979, notably after the current Copyright Act was enacted, Miller was contacted by his friend, Sean Cunningham, an already successful producer, to collaborate on a horror film project, with Miller as the screenwriter and Cunningham as the producer. The duo's process was informal, meeting at each other's homes and at coffee shops in the southern Connecticut area. But the deal was also papered over, and Miller, a Writers Guild of America member, was officially hired to write the screenplay for the film, pursuant to a short-form agreement by the Manny Company, an entity formed by Cunningham that was a party to the WGA collective bargaining agreement. So ordinarily, we get to this point where they're at least smart enough to sign a contract. Generally speaking, it's done. Generally speaking, we don't have a situation where this happens because people aren't silly about the contracts that they write. But this is very shortly after the Copyright Act went into effect. And as it will turn out, the contract that they actually signed didn't have the one sentence it really needed to have um, for this production company, the Manny Company, to actually win this kind of case. We'll get there. The agreement between Miller and Manny was silent regarding authorship of the screenplay, as that term is used in the Copyright Act, but Miller plainly relinquished any control over the exploitation of the screenplay to Cunningham and Manny. Cunningham and Manny eventually sold their interest in the film, and the runaway hit earned Manny's successors in interest significant profits. Now, more than three decades later, excuse me, Miller has timely filed and served notices purporting to terminate any permission he granted to Manny and its successors to exploit his work. So what we've got here is a contract that is what we would call an assignment, that uh, this particular writer, Miller, writes a screenplay, and as read by the court here, 
he assigns the rights to that screenplay to the production house. That is different than it being a work made for hire. And we're going to look at the laws there in a second. Danny and Manny's latest successor in interest, Horror Inc., have brought the present action seeking a declaration that Miller prepared the screenplay as a work for hire and thus never held authorship rights in the work and cannot terminate horror's ongoing exploitation of the copyright. Miller has counterclaimed seeking a declaration of the validity of his termination of horror and Manny's rights. So in this particular case, you've got this assignment by contract. He goes to terminate it. We'll see how in just a second. Uh, and they both don't sue each other exactly. They both go and ask the federal court for a declaration. Um, and there's a specific statute in the U.S. court system that allows you to go and ask for what amounts to, yes, you're right, you're wrong, let's not have a full-on legal fight about these things. Now, this declaratory action winds up taking like six years, so I'm not sure exactly uh, how advantageous it was as a process. Understanding the context of this case requires understanding what is not in dispute. This is not a case where the party signed a written agreement that expressly provided that Miller's work was being commissioned as a work made for hire. Such a writing is one of two paths to work for hire status and writings of that type are the norm in the motion picture industry. Horror and Manny's remaining path to work for hire status for Miller lies in the argument that Miller produced the work as Manny's employee within the scope of his employment. Perhaps concerned by the implications of Miller's casual relationship with Cunningham, however, Horror and Manny do not focus on traditional agency law analysis mandated by the Supreme Court for determining employee status under the Copyright Act. Horror and Manny propose a sort of no further inquiry rule of employee status resulting from Miller's hiring as a WGA member by a signatory to the WGA collective bargaining agreement. They want to use the National Labor Relations Act and their collective bargaining rules. Unfortunately for Horror and Manny, the Supreme Court's agency law analysis does not allow any exceptions for union members. And under the proper agency analysis, Miller was not Manny's employee, right? When we're looking at these, we've done this before. We're not going to go over the 60 pages of document here. But hey, I'm using my own laptop. I don't have hours. I only have deliverables. All the things that we talk about with respect to the differences between an employee and an independent contractor, the court says he looks like a contractor. Accordingly, the screenplay written by Miller was not a work for hire. So that's the overall summary, but let's break this down a little bit. Pretend we're not federal judges. Some of you might be, hi. Uh, but if we aren't, let's look at the actual foundations here, right? So 17 USC 201, ownership of copyright. Who owns these things? Kurt, you know this already. Copyright in a work protected under this title vests initially in the author or authors of the work. Correct, the sir. The person who fixes the work is the author for the purposes of copyright. You the write it down. Who poses, writes the words down the page or snaps the button on the camera or records the things on the internets yeah. is the author. We, we together are joint authors of this program right now. Exciting. Oh, and fun. Man. I'm going to need some assignments here. I'm mm. telling you. Which means I also own an undivided interest in this entire work. You see this? You this see is, this? I mean, hey, you asked. Dealing with copyright lawyers. I tell you. So this work um, is your work. This work is my work the, in California. <laughs> okay. Sorry. The basic gist is, as Kurt <laughs> rightly puts it, if you affix it in a tangible medium, you're the copyright owner with one major exception. And that's works made for hire. In the case of a work made for hire, helpfully not capitalized or defined here, we'll get to that. The employer or other person for whom the work was prepared is considered the author. Now, this is important because we just talked about in the court case that they find an assignment. That is different from it being a work made for hire. If we're thinking about this on the copyright intellectual property rules, 
If it's a work made for hire, it was never the persons that wrote it. We're going to talk about this like a screenplay. It was only ever the employers or only ever the person that contracted to have it created. So if they had come up and said, I'm gonna, I got $50,000 here. Uh, I'm going to give you $50,000 to write Friday the 13th. And they have a paragraph that says, I'm giving you this $50,000 to make this. And the resulting intellectual property from that screenplay will be considered a work made for hire. They're good. That didn't appear in the contract that they entered into, which puts a problem in their sites. Why? Well, because 17 USC 203 is one of the very, very few areas in American contract law that says contract. I mean, nah. Eh. Eh. <laughs> so eh. even if in 1979, you have entered into a contract that says, I assign you these intellectual property rights forevermore. They're not mine. They're yours. The federal law comes in and says, no. In the case of any work other than a work made for hire, the exclusive or non-exclusive grant of a transfer or license of copyright is subject to termination. This is what we saw them trying to do with the Top Gun Maverick license and ultimately kind of buzzed out uh, and is, is unlikely to succeed in any real reasonable capacity. As long as you tell them that you want to terminate in this kind of 35 to 40 year window, which you'll note from 1979 to now is now-ish. Um, and so you are allowed to terminate it even if you promised in contract that you are assigning it forever. And that is creating all of these stories right now. As we go and we look at things now in the late 70s, where we're going to move into the early 80s and the mid 80s, and we're going to find out exactly how well these Hollywood lawyer types contracted for their intellectual property rights, because it's still useful, right? They're making reboots of things right now. And so there's going to be writers, there's going to be people that talk to Mr. Toberoff, among others, that say, do I have anything? Can I go claw any of this stuff back? But as you can see, because it doesn't apply to works made for hire, the functional important question here is what in the world is a work made for hire? So here is 17 USC uh, 101, which is the definition section. And this is what the court means when it's talking about the two different ways to get there. So <clears throat> the first is if you make it and you're an employee and it's within the, sc within the scope of your employment. And here's where they say the Supreme Court does a normal kind of employee test. Do you have hours? Do they control what you are doing? Are you in an office? Are they providing you with uh, assets, the computers and things to do the things? All the various tests that we see for whether you're an employee or not. Now, that's the first way. The second way is the way that movies are usually made, <laughs> which is a work specially ordered or commissioned for use as a contribution to a collective work or notably as a part of a motion picture. Usually, if you're dealing with this pr provision, you're trying to figure out something. All right, it's combined audiovisual work like a video game. Uh, motion pictures are specifically called out, but only if the parties expressly agree in a written instrument signed by them that the work shall be considered yep, a work made for hire. That, that's the one that get, that's the one that gets you, and uh, the one that a lot of people miss is that works for hire have to basically be in writing. That it you has to, to say expressly it. say that it's a work made for hire. Yeah, and this is something that is not done the vast vast majority of the time. Well, I mean, if you've got a decent lawyer, you're doing it. I mean, I will tell you that the standard for doing even contracting on an intellectual property basis is to have a paragraph that says, this is a work made for hire. And then a paragraph right after that that says, if a court finds that deficient somehow, <clears throat> right, that we don't meet the de definitions in some capacity, then it's an assignment. 
um, because you want it to be a work made for hire. That's the highest power, obviously, here. But you want to make sure you get the intellectual property if somebody mm -hmm. were to be upset about that. If you get it as on an assignment level, you wind up in this situation where 40 years later, they can go and take back their authorship rights. <clears throat> so that's a little interesting part of copyright law here. But that's what this fight is about. So when you get to the, the agency law and analysis here uh, that this court engages in, they're looking at uh, right to control the manner and means by which the product is accomplished, the skill required, the source of instrumentalities and tools, the location, all that stuff, and they find it to be wanting. <clears throat> now, this particular uh, plaintiff here says, well, the National Labor Relations Act should control because we, we entered into a WGA agreed upon contract. And the court says... We don't know what to tell you. That's not. That's not. That's, that's not, not how this works. Controls. I mean, we just read it just now. Did we just not read it just now about the how the contract is not the end all be all because of you have to include these magic words or well, the include these is, magic words. Well, you have to include these magic words if they're not an employee. They're fighting about what an employee is. They 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 concede this bucket. All right, we're not this. <clears throat> they want to say he's an employee. Right. He okay. signs up a WGA contract with this Manny Productions company. And then they want to say that because the Nab National Labor Relations Act protects him as an employee, then that must mean it's an employee for purposes of the Copyright Act. And then basically what the court does <clears throat> is say different statutes have different rules. Yeah, that's kind and of what my analysis would be, too. Just because you're an employee for one statute doesn't <clears throat> mean you're an employee for all statutes. Right. Every and statute can have different definitions of terms. Right. And that's a great argument, which is exactly why I believe it's the Second Circuit says exactly that. Friday the 13th screenwriter wins big appeal over copyright termination. So remember, we just looked at that first. This is you won your court case. <clears throat> you have the rights to Friday the 13th. You're going to live a happy and fat life. Well, it goes to appeals. The appeal decision is three years later. Like, I can sometimes not get over how long this process takes, right? In terms of getting redress, it, this person will be found to have the rights to this movie, to be able to make money off of it. And they will have spent, by the time this is over, like eight years getting that done at the court level. Victor Miller once scared moviegoers with Friday the 13th, four decades after penning that influential horror flick, which prompted numerous sequels. He scored an important legal victory. I did like the fighting. one where they were on the space station and Jason Voorhees emerged the person in liquid nitrogen and then smashed their face into a counter. That was cool. Isn't that X? Isn't that Friday the 13th? Yes, it is. I like that part. <laughs> I like the liquid nitrogen part. For somebody that doesn't like horror movies, you've seen a few. Um, People keep trying to convince me that they're good. There are a lot of... Like you. Because people I'm like really you, Richard... Out of Jason and Freddy, I go Nightmare on Elm Street every time. So it's not, you're not going to hear me back in Jason too much. Um, on Thursday, the second U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals affirmed a win for him in a copyright termination battle. As a result, he's set to reclaim the domestic rights to the franchise. Miller attempted to leverage the part of copyright law that allows authors to reclaim the rights to what they once created after waiting a statutorily set period of time. Yes. It's not unlike what the heirs of comic book creators are now attempting to do against Disney. We've talked about that as well. Although there are important differences, given that the Marvel comic books at issue were published before the copyright law was changed to the 70s. Yeah, it's an issue. But in alignment with Disney's argument, Friday the 13th producer Sean Cunningham argued that Miller contributed his screenplay as a work made for hire and that it was ineligible for termination. The court, as we just read, disagreed. And here, the Second Circuit winds up disagreeing. 
The Second Circuit, after a very lengthy delay that annoyed Friday the 13th fans waiting for new sequels, rejects that argument and concludes Miller was an independent contractor when he wrote the screenplay and is therefore entitled to authorship rights. The Copyright Act and the National Labor Relations Act, says the Second Circuit, serve altogether different purposes and focus on different economic sectors. Referring to one time the Supreme Court took up commission works and works for hire, she adds, as the Supreme Court explored extensively in Community for Creative Nonviolence versus Reed, Section 101 of the Copyright Act, that's the definitions, uses a more restrictive definition of employment, one aimed at limiting the contours of the work for hire determination and protecting authors, the individual creators of works whose foundational value the Constitution itself recognizes and Congress has expounded upon. In the labor and employment law context, in contrast, the concept of employment is broader, adopting a more sweeping approach suitable to serve workers and their collective bargaining interests and establishing their rights. What's important about this paragraph and is done very well by the court is that when you think about them this way, it aligns them that when you're talking about losing the rights to your intellectual property, if you're a workman for hire, it was never yours, it's your employer's, then a narrow definition is in raw alignment with a broad definition of the National Labor Relations Act, which is also designed to protect employees. So in that, Congress is actually looking like the same kind of bent in terms of what they're putting together, which is we want to protect labor uh, more. And so that requires a narrow definition with respect to uh, automatic assignment and a broad definition with respect to bargaining rights. Uh, and so the court says, these are these are the same. Um, and that's not how this works, as Kurt properly said. That labor law was determined to offer labor protections to independent writers does not have to reduce the protections provided to authors under the Copyright Act. It's not, it's not how this works at all. <laughs> so that comes in 2021. So he, he wins at the court level. He wins a very solid victory at the appeals court level, which leads us to this past week, right? And this is... Uh, paywalled so we're, there's nothing important here but we're going to use it as our entry point friday the 13th rider wins eight hundred eighty-seven thousand dollars as attorney award that's a lot i mean a million dollars of attorneys awards that's a lot of attorneys awards yeah so to talk about this there's a there's first an interesting little thing here right as i mentioned to start out with this was not an infringement action this was actually an, an action under uh, the uh, the declaratory relief section of the code, right? Uh, you can go and ask the federal courts to answer any number of questions uh, that you want them to answer. And because it's not in the copyright, one of the things they have to answer first as the court is, okay, well, the Copyright Act says in any civil action under this title, the court in its discretion may allow the recovery of full costs and those full costs can be comprised of a reasonable attorney's fee. Mm -hmm. Does this apply? <laughs> asks the court. Sounds because, like it. I well, mean, given the words you just read to me just now. Right. Well, it's because of this broadness in any civil action under this title, because it's technically not under this title. It's This is Title 28, um, and but it relates to Title 17. So the court ultimately goes in here and says, yeah, no, it counts. <laughs> it's, it's a claim about copyright. We can award these fees if we want. They fought against it. And then should we award these fees? And this is where you get some judges that are, um, you know, this is this is written very judiciously, um, but uh, it's also pretty mean to the plaintiffs in this particular case. Plaintiffs argue that this case raises a novel and unsettled question of copyright law for which an award of attorney's fees on the basis of purported unreasonableness is not unwarranted. So as you saw from this section here, what the court is deciding is, was this so ridiculous that effectively the party that had to defend itself 
is deserving of being made whole, even on the kind of cost of process. Right. Um, and what the plaintiffs are arguing here is like, look, okay, we lost, but it wasn't crazy. And this judicial system of ours is designed to allow us to go and try to advance our cause and explore these new areas. Um, and you can't just punish us for, for essentially having the judges decide that we were wrong. But the judge here to this says, I disagree. Short sentences from judges. Look out for them, folks. For the reasons simple to the point, unambiguous. It's, I mean, you know, it covers a lot of ground. For the reasons set forth in this court's summary judgment order and in the Second Circuit's ruling on appeal, for all the judges that have already talked about this, plaintiffs' claims were lacking legal and factual support and were therefore objectively unreasonable. I arrive at this conclusion because plaintiff's theory was contrary to well-settled precedent, which plaintiffs appeared to try to circumvent rather than challenge, and not because plaintiffs lost its summary judgment on appeal. Now that, you, you try to piece mm. that distinction together. Uh, but what they're trying to say is, uh, no, it's not just because you lost. It's because you didn't back up any of your purported claims, <laughs> right? So you already had on the books precedent that said, Here's how employment is determined under the under the Copyright Act. And what you did is you tried to go around the horn because that was useful to you, but you never explained why. And all these courts kicked it out because it's ridiculous. Uh, and so that's objectively unreasonable. Note that they are not going to call it frivolous. Uh, mm -hmm. So frivolous is your maximum. Like you are wasting our time. Says, so, all right, this is dumb, <laughs> but you, it's not it's not insane. Um Continuing on here, on that basis, I cannot conclude that this case presented a question so novel and unsettled that attorney's fees are unwarranted. The plaintiff's claims were objectively unreasonable, substantially weighs in favor of a fee award. However, plaintiff's claims fall short of being frivolous. A complaint is frivolous where it lacks an arguable basis either in law or in fact. Although I disagree that plaintiffs had substantial legal justification, the non-exhaustive nature of the read factors suggests that there was at least an arguable basis in law for plaintiff's claim. Said another way, you could have, uh, it's not a great argument, but it is an argument and it's not an insane one. Accordingly, I conclude the first factor weighs in favor of granting fees and then plaintiff's motivations. Uh, Miller asserts that plaintiff has a retaliatory motivation. In my view, plaintiff's complaint undermines their assertion that they merely sought clarification. They were trying to fight the termination uh, on its front. Uh, and then I wanted to talk about the lawyer's fees here. Calculation of fees. So the court's going to grant fees. We already know this. We saw the headline before we even looked at this, right? But to determine the magnitude of fees to award, the, the court first determines the presumptively reasonable fee, the lodestar. Mm -hmm. Courts, love it. Which is calculated by multiplying a reasonable hourly rate for each attorney by the reasonable number of hours the attorney expended on the case. I treat this as a three-step inquiry. Determining the reasonable hourly rate for each attorney, determining the number of hours reasonably expended, and calculating, then adjusting the lodestar amount. So I'm going to look at what lawyers are charging for this kind of stuff around here. Well, you bought yourself an intellectual property lawyer in New York. Mm, I'm thinking. Oh, yeah, tell me the numbers, Kurt. Well, if they're, I'm thinking I know 650. 650. No, you're low. Am I low? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, we'll get there. Plaintiffs do not appear to contest the issue of the community in which to evaluate the prevailing rates. And I conclude the Southern District of New York rates are reasonable in this case. Folks, if you're not getting a Manhattan attorney, what are you even doing? Am I right? <laughs> Miller proposes fee awards for each of his attorneys, Mark Toberoff, Ian Samuels, Doug Douglas, Freddie, 
Michael Ciravo and Timothy Lamoureux. They're just trying me with these last names at the rates discussed below. We've got some associates and we've got the main partner. Uh, and uh, let's see if we can get here. Partner, are the, are Mark the partners are the partners charging a thousand? <laughs> Miller proposes an hourly rate for Tobaroff. Well, I wasn't that seven, off. Seven ninety five. I said six fifty. I wasn't that off. I didn't. I just said you were low. I didn't say. I did not quantify that lowness. In the in the Southern District of New York, partners litigating copyright cases charge between four hundred and seven fifty per hour. I'm right in the ballpark. I'm right in I, the bit. Richard, <laughs> who, who's judging you? I'm just saying it was low for what they're going to give them. You said okay. 650, 4750. I do find it amusing that, that that the range that the judge sets here in this sentence is notably lower than the range requested. That's not going to bother the judge. I this this judge isn't an emotional writer, but I do you do get a sense of, nah, you're getting whatever you asked for. <laughs> this was this was all very silly. Um, and so then they put in some arguments and say, yeah, we can take the higher number if it's close. Toberoff observes that the AIPLA report demonstrates that two highest qualities quartiles of partners billing rates in the New York consolidated metro, uh, metropolitan statistical area are actually 980 to 1150 per hour and argues that his rate is reasonable because he seeks a lower hourly rate. Uh, it's so funny because I hear about this stuff all the time when I'm doing my practice about how much the other lawyers are charging um, and, uh, you know, why you can't trust the Midwestern lawyers. I'm moving to New York and offering a discount. <laughs> I will be your attorney for a low, low price of $650. For you, my friend, <laughs> special price. It's it's just so funny. Folks, I, yes, this is not... These, these are numbers that are not remotely close to my hourly. And it's just funny. It's just funny to observe. Um, uh, and the most expensive that I've ever seen are in Toronto and London, for, for the record. Um, uh, then we've got other hourly rates here. Um, and just to kind of give you the math, and then we'll be done with this uh, for right now. But I wanted to show this. So here's the chart. Uh, Mark Toberoff is said to have worked a thousand hours on this case which, you know, it was years, uh, but that's that's a lot of time. Um, you then have the senior associate at 585, uh, and then the associates at 475, 475, and then like the, the brand new out of law school, 350, um, for a total in fees of 886,564. I just want to make sure that we make this point before we uh, let it pass by. Just because the associate is billing 350 an hour does not mean he's making 350 an hour oh god so let's just let's just make sure that we're clear on that point timothy over here is not raking in 350 dollars an hour that's what they're charging not what he's making i know that's, that's very so, true yeah it's very true kurt um no and i used to negotiate try to negotiate my my yearly compensation based on percentages of realized billing um so those are always fun how did that work out for you I was told by my senior partner that we didn't base our annual compensation determinations on math. Okay. And I said, and I said um, yes, you, I mean, yes, you do. Yes, you, you do. absolutely do. In every possible way. <laughs> it's so, cause I came in and I said, here's what you paid me for my realized billings. Here's what I brought into the front. You know, I had a freaking report ready. Um, and, uh, and, and they, they were, I, I often describe myself as the squeaky wheel. Um, or the or the adjutant because they they didn't they didn't love those calls with me, um, but uh, you know that was fun. You, you, nobody's going to fight for you, folks. If you take anything out from this, it's nobody is going to fight to give you more money except for you. 
so you know you got to go fight for what you think you're worth on these kinds of things. We, Kurt's we, exactly we right. don't do, we don't pay you based on math. It's like so you're not you're not looking at the total amount that you bring in. I bring in and then paying me based on what you think a reasonable. You're not there's no math in that. Okay. Well, uh -huh. as you probably know, Kurt, you know, you go into big law and what they have is a compensation committee and I, I call it the black box. They have a vault door uh, that's associated with it. Nobody can get in. They do freaking uh, like electronic signaling scans every morning. I, uh -huh. This is the truth. This is the truth. Um, and uh, then a number pops out. Uh, and then what I used to say is their goal was to figure out the number at which you would be mildly irritated, but not so irritated as to look elsewhere. Like that, the goal was <laughs> to hit you on this particular level. This was my employer. Your your experience might differ. That sounds about right. And like, uh, what is the what is the least we can pay you that it would be an inconvenience for you to look somewhere else? Yeah, but so, when you're billing thousands of hours for these people and you can run how much money the firm made compared to what they paid you, you can be like, all right, well, let's talk about this. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, and that's and that's part of the fun, uh, but. Uh, you know, it's different. It's different out in, uh, in, in running your own, running your own firm land. Uh, but I do remember those conversations pretty well. Uh, so in any event, nobody's going to fight for you. Got to fight for yourself. Got to fight for what it is that you want vis-a-vis -vis your, your, your benefits, your arrangements, your compensation. Uh, I like to talk about my compensation for my appearances on this show. Oh, really? Hmm. Well, I mean, I can always rescind the links. <laughs> <laughs> Hmm. Uh, I'm with right. you as compensation enough. Crazy cat queen. So there's lawyer math and firm math. First of all, as we say in this space, never trust a lawyer with your math. Hmm. Uh, but second of all, uh, yeah, this that was literally an answer I was given. Uh, so I went in, I said, you know, here's the percentage that I want out of this. This is the percentage that, uh, you know, these are the what the partners are making because we could see all of the, you know, the partners arrangements, all this stuff. This is what I think is fair. Um, and you know, sometimes it was all right. Sometimes they, they, they were not happy with me. Uh, it is what it is. Uh, they're not your friends. Um, you can be colleagues, uh, but you got to go fight for your, for your, for what you need. Definitely. And your right to party. Well, I mean, we, I think we always, we already know that you have to fight for your right to party. Um, let's make sure we got all of these here to do a few more super chats. Uh, and then. We're going to get out of here for this morning. Original Carrie and Rear Window. So I love Carrie. Carrie scared the absolute crap out of me. I also love Rear Window. Rear Window is not that scary. Rear, win Rear Window is grotesque if you think about the crime that they are actually describing. Uh, but Rear Window is mostly goofy. Um, and, uh, I, you know, you got Jimmy Stewart uh, saying that uh, Grace Kelly is just too perfect for me. And I can't accept all of this beauty in my life. And it's like, yeah, okay. All right, Jimmy. It, it, all right. <laughs> uh, but I do like your window. Uh, Clarissa Terry, check out Come Geek Some. He's a YouTuber that followed the Depp and Herd trial, and he is a huge horror movie and video game buff. Does Let's Play. All right, great recommendation. I, I will I will check it out uh, because we're definitely going to be talking about some scary stuff. We're going to be talking about what I've watched on the Friday sequences probably in this space. So, you know, you can join us. If I know them early, maybe I'll let you know on like the casual Friday stream and uh, you guys can check them out yourselves and, and we can have that conversation on Monday. could be fun. Could be fun. We talked about lawyer math. We talked about firm math. Uh, Secret window with Johnny is great, but rear window is good too. Same premise. Yeah. You know, you put window in the title. I think people are going to assume that it's a rear window kind of take. Um, I think 
Is it Suburbia that is also kind of a variant on Rear Window? That's the one with um, the guy from Transformers. <laughs> you know, the guy that from Transformers. <laughs> that guy. He was going to be Indiana Jones for a second, I think. That guy. You know who I'm talking about. I have no clue who you're talking about, but I look at this person. The, the guy. The, he was in Holes. You know the thing. Yeah. The, yeah. He was in Holes. He was uh, on Nickelodeon. Shia LaBeouf. There it is. There it is. Um, yeah, I, we, I knew we could get there. Uh, definition of compromise, both parties walk away equally unhappy. Well, I mean, there are ways to run uh, a, an office. And I love I love a lot of the people I've worked with at my old places. So, I mean, like, this is not this is not a diss. And it's certainly a functional way to run it to be like, okay, so, you know, we, we don't want to overpay people. Uh, but I think that you can give a better cushion that doesn't, you know, take away the senior partner's island money um, and private jet money, but that makes people feel a little bit more warm and fuzzy about value. Um, and I, I think you can run that too tight and, and make everybody kind of uneasy all the time. Um, so that I disagreed with, but that's a reasonable minds can differ. It's kind of a band um, uh, approach to these things. And so eh, there we go. I'm not there anymore. So, I mean, like my choices were made, right? Uh, did you know Jimmy Stewart is a retired U.S. Air Force general? I did not. The money's in Bill's house and Ted's house. I didn't know his history. Um, Good. So, yeah, Jimmy Stewart. I love Jimmy Stewart. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, the the plot line of, <laughs> of him not wanting to marry Grace Kelly because she's too perfect. <laughs> it's just. Ah, Rear Window. I love it. Go watch Rear Window. Also, play the game by Prospero Hall because Rear Window is a fun board game to play. Um, so pain. I fight for helpless causes because those are the only causes worth fighting for. You knew that truth, Senator Payne. That's that's Mr. Smith goes to Washington. <sighs> Sheila Buff, Shia, Shia, Sheila Beef, Shy, Disturbia. Oh, did I say Suburbia? Yes, it's Disturbia. I think that's right. Or no, it's Suburbia. No, it's both. Now I'm confused. Either way, it's a rear window kind of knockoff. Um, Disturbia, that's it. All right, we, we're in agreement that it's Disturbia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, talking about horror movies, the TV movie for the Depth Trial is coming out tomorrow. There's a trailer out. There's a TV movie? It sounds like a fun topic. I wonder if any of my friends will be in it. What would be the what would be the parody dramatized version of like Emily D. Baker or Alita? I don't I don't know. I'm interested. We'll see. We'll see if they they, they appear in it. Uh, Disturbia, Bravo, Hoglaw, 20 World War II combat missions. He's a stud. That's awesome. Yeah, if you look at that particular era of actor, um, you do get those kinds of stories um, coming right off of the war. So that's, yeah, absolutely, respect. Um, and I think the first time I saw Jimmy Stewart was uh, The Spirit of St. Louis. I think that was the first movie I watched with him in it, um, which is in whole reality is partially a one-man show he's, he's just in uh, a plane um and i was really impressed by that uh, back in the day so i do the voice because i find his voice amusing uh but jimmy stewart's the real deal definitely um let's see here do a post-mortem on that movie which movie disturbia rear window we can talk about rear window we can do a whole thing on rear window uh dog violence um implication hitchcock loved the implication of bad things. He had to work around the ratings board, of course, at the time, uh, and those kinds of things. Like the all implication I know about implications is from boats. 
Oh my goodness. The, the implications in framing stories in a specific way so that you could avoid the censors while actually describing really horrific things. Rear Window is very good at that. And doesn't involve boats at all. <laughs> Kate McKinnon is EDB. I can see that. I can see that working. The Depp trial movie looks awful. Who made it? Where is this coming from? Is this a studio thing? What What is this? Um, I'm very curious about this. Uh, Perry Mason was the murderer. Yes, very true. <laughs> uh, seems like we in the gallery would be the ones to be portrayed in a flick about the trial. I was not consulted. Hey, Scott. Um, yeah, they don't have to consult you, as you know, for copyright purposes, for things that are related to, to real life. What do, you they, about, what do you think about Aaron Eckhart to play me? Uh, I don't know who that is. Okay. Wait, Aaron Eckhart, like uh, Two-Face? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yes. Why not? Put a, put a cowboy hat on him. It's a, it's absolutely the same. Um, yeah, no, if I'm, if I'm in it, people have already decided it's either Sean Astin or Rick Moranis, I think is usually what I get. Rick Moranis is a good call. Oh, see, look, I didn't even have to, I didn't even see this one, Nicole. Um, yeah, there, there's a sequence of pictures. <laughs> it's like Sean Astin at like a signing, uh, for like Lord of the Rings or something. And they've just framed my face in the same way. It's like, Hey, you know what? I, I, I'll, go with, I'll go for Samwise. I have a very Samwise personality. Uh, I always enjoyed Suspicion. Uh, it's the trial movie on Tubi. Popcorn Planet showed the trailer. It's a Tubi original. All right. Okay. Out tomorrow for free. I'm sure it will be a nuanced and very accurate take on the proceedings. Something for us to cover. Yay. Of this year. More exciting coverage about Johnny Depp. They're going to be filing those briefs pretty soon, right? Uh, yes, actually. Yeah. Uh, I think they might be filed, but they haven't been cleared for um, us to see yet, I mm. think. All right, folks. Kurt has said he's doing a, uh, a big old stream tomorrow uh for for raising money uh are, are you doing anything before then kurt um i'll have some stories out today i think i've got one coming out today on the south carolina supreme court somewhat disappointingly saying that civil asset forfeiture remains the law in the palmetto state so that's coming out today and i think i have one other one that's coming out today and then all day tomorrow is charity awareness stream for thyroid cancer awareness Supporting the American Thyroid Association, the link is already up on my page, so tune into that. Probably be playing video games most of the day, as people from other LawTube want to stop in and say hi, they can help, and we will go from there. The stream will be starting probably roughly at 9 o'clock Central Time, and probably going for about 12 hours. All roughly. Right. Some there or thereabouts. It's most of the day. It's, you know. Sounds like a plan, Kurt. Well, I really appreciate you being here. I appreciate everybody talking to me about horror movies. Uh, you know, we're going to get through October together. It is basically my obsession during that month. So we're going to have some fun. Uh, otherwise, folks, thank you for hanging out. And I will see you tomorrow on Casual Friday Hangouts and Headlines. If you've got any good headlines, I don't know that I have anything lined up yet Yet for tomorrow. Send them to me by DM on Twitter or else uh, uh, at our hog at hoglaw.com. I do take emails as well. God knows the people that hate me find that email address easily enough. Uh, so do do that. And I will see you tomorrow uh, for another episode here on the Hoglaw YouTube channel. Bye.